Hello and welcome to the Evolution of Business podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Brady, and I'm excited to be here today with Michelle Sirocco. And Michelle is the Chief Social Responsibility Officer at Televerde, and we are recording right at the Conscious Capitalism 2019 conference this year, and they actually had a great uh, Televerde uh, discussion last night at telling some stories because they are a uh, what what they call a gener a demand generation company. So so they do a lot of uh, a lot of sales calls, uh, but they have a, a unique staffing model. So uh, Michelle, thanks so much for joining us and and tell us a little bit about what it is that sets uh, Televerde apart. Yeah. So. As you said, Televerde is a demand generation company, uh, demand generation and sales acceleration. So specifically what we do is we help our customers get new customers. Um, and we do that by providing support services all the way across the entire sales funnel. Um, but it's the way that we do it that is the most exciting part. So uh, we have uh, five of our nine contact centers are located in the women's correctional facilities here in Arizona or Rockville, Indiana. So we're employing uh, approximately 425 women who are in prison to do uh, a wide variety of sales and marketing services for our customers. So uh, they may be working on uh, target markets or personas uh, certified in a wide variety of marketing technology tools, and then making outbound calls and taking inbound calls and having conversations with uh, our customers, customers and prospects in order to um, help sell their products and solutions. And, and there were, there were a, a handful of stories that, that got told, in, including from one young lady who was, was still in, uh, in the correctional facility. And so we had a, we had a video that was, that was streamed in. Uh, but they were just uh, unbelievable stories of, of some of these folks that, uh, you know, like, like uh, was mentioned many times, is you don't want to have to define them by that, that worst day in their life. Uh, because we've, we've all been there. And we've all made, made plenty of mistakes. Uh, so one of the, the challenges, though, is then being able to, to get employed. And, and I forget if it was you or, or someone else um, out there, but, but was saying that uh, the number one predictor of recidivism is joblessness. And so you're, you're tackling that directly. Yeah, that's absolutely correct. I was the one who said that. So, uh, you know, some of the interesting things about incarceration in the United States are is the uh, U.S. likes to be number one at a lot of things. And um, we are number one at incarcerating people. We currently have uh, 2.3 million people in prison and um, approximately 700,000 of them are released every year back into the community. Uh, and even more. Unfortunately, uh, 70, sorry, 83% of them will return to prison within nine years. Wow. And like you said, the number one predictor of recidivism is joblessness. And what happens is uh, typically one year after release, most people will be still unemployed. 76% of the people will be unemployed after one year. So the primary reason for that is that uh, this unwillingness to hire people who have been convicted of a felony. And we talk a lot about ban the box. And that is, if you can imagine, if you think about it, there's the box on the job application that asks if you've ever been convicted of a felony. And um, unfortunately today, because all the majority of job applications are online, checking that box tends to be almost an immediate disqualifier that just the person never even gets the interview, uh, let alone the job. 
So, uh, I, forgive me I, for, for, for lack of a better term, calling this a, a crazy idea, but because I absolutely love it. So crazy isn't, isn't maybe the right word, but how did, how did Televera get, get into this? What, what, who came up with this crazy idea? Yeah, so... Interesting. So Televerde's been in business for 25 years, so this isn't a a new idea. Um, And uh, working with the women in prison was always part of the business. So 25 years ago, uh, the the original founder was involved in prison ministries, and he recognized that uh, we were not giving people enough of what they needed in order to be successful when they transitioned out of prison. And he came up with the idea of starting a call center in prison because that's what his background was. So he started the call center and it was just a traditional kind of telemarketing call center. And six months into it, he um, met our co-founder and former CEO, Jim Hooker. And Jim looked at the situation and said, he, if we could teach the women to sell, then we could empower them to be uh, successful salespeople. And he had a background in technology. He was a the former IBM sales executive, had bought and sold a couple computer businesses. It was the mid-90s, so the internet was a thing. Um, Y2K mm-hmm. and, uh, and the dot-com were coming up in the future. And so he just really believed that if he specifically could teach them how to sell technology, that he could build a successful business and um, empower them to be able to be financially independent or even more than that financially successful upon their release by getting jobs sales jobs in the tech space um, because he believed the tech space would be uh, less likely to be discriminatory against their uh, felony convictions and so his vision was spot on because here we are 25 years later um, employing 425 women in prison and have had over 3,000 women work for us uh, so far. And probably the kind of the coolest thing about the 3,000 women who've worked for us so far is that less than 7% have ever gone back to prison. And and that was uh, that was one of the one of the stats that I wrote down when you were when you were talking last night. That that's just phenomenal. Uh, the the way that the way that 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 job and and you know that that dignity and giving them something to be proud of and and you know just like anybody else, they wanna they wanna make their family proud. They wanna make a positive contribution to society and and giving them. That giving them the chance to do that—that's uh, that's something really powerful. Yeah. So I mean, we've we've witnessed the you know the impact of when you provide people with jobs, training, um, and education while they're incarcerated, as well as the uh, real opportunity after their incarceration, how they 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 can really go on to. Um, do great things with their lives. I mean, you empower them to achieve their full full potential, take care of their families, take care of their children, and then, of course, not go back to prison. Yeah. So, so tell me a little bit about the kind of life cycle of, of being an employee because I, I heard some of the, the women who are telling their stories uh, said that it was it's quite a, an interview and, and selection process. So so how do you pick the, these ladies, you know, among I'm sure many worthy applicants that, that are the, the, the televerted quality uh, material that, that you're looking for? Well, so actually it's, it's much like any other job that you would apply for. Um, it just happens to be a different community that we're, we're hiring from. And, and so um, we... 
when we have openings or when we're planning to hire for expansion, uh, we'll post the job on the job. They have job boards and the women will apply. And there's some fundamental screening that goes into it from the, the from the Department of Corrections where they screen them for uh, they have to have a minimum of a high school diploma or a GED, um, which in many cases is the first thing that women have to do when they get there so that they can come work for us. They have to go get their GED. Okay. And, and that's kind of like a stepping stone. And that starts them on that path of achievement. And so then once they, they're screened for that, then they go through a whole process. There's a typing test and um, some online skills-based testing and interview process. Um, it's three-stage interview process and then a face, you know, uh, a mock phone call, a whole series of things that are scored. And then we pick the best of the best. Um, and, you know, oftentimes they don't make it and they'll go back and the next time we post they'll try again and the next time we they post we'll try again I spoke to a girl the other day in the facility she told me it took her five times um, and she's now one of our top performers so um, that's some grit yeah that's grit and but it's also um, there's a lot of empowering each other and nurturing and paying it forward that goes on in the prison um, so the women will um, work with each other uh, they'll encourage each other when when somebody doesn't make Make it. Her friends that do work for Televerde will coach her and help her prepare for the next interview, and and really just encouraging people to do what's necessary and learn what's necessary to get the opportunity. Uh, and then once once they come on board, then there's the whole training process, and and the ladies like to refer to it as as boot camp. Um, I think it's more like a mini MBA. Mm. Uh, so it's two to four weeks of classroom training that is everything from uh, basic business business 101, marketing 101, um, developing the business acumen necessary to be successful, um, how communication skills, how to have a conversation, all of the things necessary to be successful on the phone. Um, it's even accredited by the local community college for six credit hours. So we also get them started on that path to thinking about their um, ongoing education. And, and I saw on your website uh, that, that they, they are paid fair market wages, right? Even though they're, they're in prison, uh, you know, that they are getting paid these fair market wages. Some of it might be, might be held until they, they get out, though. Yeah, so the, the model is, um, and it, it's a fabulous model that works really well. Um, we pay them uh, fair market wage, and they... A portion of it goes... So most people don't realize that when somebody is incarcerated... Um, in addition to the loss of income that you have from that family member going to prison, um, the, the, they have to take care of themselves while they're in prison. They have to buy their own soap and shampoo and deodorant and shoes and socks and underwear. And if they don't have money while they're in there, then that burden falls on their family um, to provide them with that income. So um, of the money that they earn, a portion goes on to, into their, what they call their commissary or their spendable balance that they can spend on a weekly basis. Um, a portion goes into a savings account um, that, or a trust fund, if you were, that they get when they're released. And then they can also pay fines, restitution, or uh, child support so that they can help take care of their children um, or their families while they're in. Wow. So, yeah. So I, I, I'm now thinking, okay, we've, we've got folks that, uh, you know, come through the program and they're, they're working and they're, and they're 
being fairly successful. Then they get to that uh, probably exciting, but also those scary uh, release date, right? They, they've, they've spent so much time that it it's probably seems a little bit foreign to, to go <laughs> elsewhere, uh, you know, outside of prison. So what is that process like when, when some, some of these women are, are leaving prison for the first time in a long time and, and trying, to, uh, trying, to not be, trying to be not that 7% that does uh, you know, have a recidivism? Yeah, so well, what we've done is we've, we've recognized over the, the years of doing this is there's you know, support services that will help them be more successful over time. And so we actually uh, founded a nonprofit organization called Arrowette. And Arrowette provides, um, it's actually a three-year transformation program for the women. And it starts uh, about nine months before their release. And that's, kind of, that's all kind of workplace readiness or actually life readiness, I would call it, um, where they do things like uh, financial planning and there's some health and wellness, um, uh, resume writing, interview skills, and the things that they need to prepare to go into the workplace. And then once they're released, um, so uh, they may come for work for Televerde directly when they get out, um, but perhaps not. They, if they're not able to come or they don't come to work for Televerde when they get out, they have a whole job placement program where they help them find jobs in the local community. And then they provide a two-year ongoing coaching and development and includes ongoing professional skills training, workshops, and they mentoring and coaching. Um, year two, they're being mentored. Year three, they are a mentor. Um, and there's coaching and leadership and all kinds of development services to help, to help make sure that they're successful and they continue their transformation and professional growth and development. Mm. Just incredible. And in one of the other uh, stats that I saw on your website was that 25% of the graduates continue to work there uh, after their release. And, and I'd imagine, uh, you know, sometimes it's great that they have that, that stability. Sometimes they may even, you know, want to want to go on and, you know, grow in their careers and, and go elsewhere and do, do other things as well. So is there sometimes some kind of positive turnover from that respect that they want to well, go elsewhere? Yeah. So, so absolutely. So first of all, yes, uh, I, 25 or 30% of the women will come work at our corporate office. Um, they'll continue, they'll come out in an advanced version of their current role um, in a wide variety of roles. But at our corporate office, there's about 200 people who work for our corporate office and 40% um, of them started their career with the company on the inside. And we have people in every department, every level of the organization, including 30% of our leadership team that started their career while they were in prison. Then, um, in addition to that, there's a lot of positive transition from uh, the corporate office onto other places. Uh, one of our clients, one of the biggest technology companies uh, in the world, actually uses uh, Televerde as a workforce development model. So the women will start uh, while they're in prison doing appointment centering and lead generation and some sales development work for them. Uh, then when they're released, they can come work at our corporate office and they become sales development reps and inside sales reps uh, for the client. And then when the client has uh, openings at their Scottsdale office, they recruit directly from our contact center. So the women will go on to be uh, business development uh, executives for them. And um, they, they really do a phenomenal job. In fact, um, for 2018, four of the top 10 business development uh, executives in the country were graduates from Televerde. 
Uh, one of the gals, uh, her first year out, she was 125% of quota in her first year. She went to President's Club in uh, Cancun and uh, received the award for the number one uh, business development rep in the country for the year. Unreal. Yeah, so, so it's... The, they, the skills that they develop, the work ethic that they develop, um, and the kind of the employee engagement that they bring to the table, they'll just outwork everybody. I love that. Yeah. And, and in, more, uh, in addition to some of the really inspiring personal stories that, that were told last night, uh, there was also you know, some, some client testimonial, so to speak, talking about the, those that, that use, use all of you because you know, the, the, uh, the companies that, that want to have that, that uh, generation demand uh, are, are going to want to, wanna, they, they like the story, but the, the results have to be there. And it sounds like the results are, are more than there, but how do you go about uh, you know, finding, those, finding those clients that are really, um, is, there, is there resistance to, to employing that workforce? Yeah, well, l- let me talk a little bit about the clients and delivering results first. So um, our clients tend to be kind of the biggest and the brightest uh, technology companies in the world. That's where our business started. So it's companies like SAP, Adobe, Microsoft, Honeywell, um, and and companies like that are not going to buy from us just because we have a really cute business model. Like, you know, that might feel really good, but at the end of the day, we have to be able to deliver results for them. And, and so... Um, we, we've tracked the measurable, the revenue that we've delivered for our clients. And, and we know that over the past 20 years, um, we've delivered over $8 billion in revenue for our clients. Um, and for example, the company that I was just talking about that uh, uses us as a workforce development model, um, for the work that we've done for them at our corporate office, they've been a client for 10 years. Um, they have we've delivered them over 30,000 sales opportunities, uh, which has resulted in 825 million dollars in revenue and a 14 to one ROI on their investment. So, um, it's people are aren't going to buy from us because of the business model. They're going to buy from us because we're the best at what we do. But we're the best at what we do because of the business model, because we have this loyal, dedicated, committed, and engaged workforce that you can't get anywhere else. So um, what was the second part of the question? Uh, just when, uh, do you get uh, any, any pushback when you're, when you're trying to make the sale that, oh, I, I, I don't know if I want to employ uh, these folks? Well, yeah, of course. Um, however, the pushback is a lot less now than what it used to be. When I first started in, in my career as a sales executive with Televerde, um, a long time ago, <laughs> um, 20 plus years ago, um, it was much more difficult. People had um, a lot more disdain, I would say, for the population. Um, the, the, the common pushback was, oh, those people would never be able to represent my product or they really, the belief system was that they would never be smart enough to talk about the technology or to, to speak to executives. Um, and so we used to just tell people back then, like, come and, come and meet the team, come out for a visit, and if you end up buying from somebody else, then we will pay for your trip. I can tell you we've never paid for a trip. <laughs> um, today, I think because of the fact, um, as I said earlier, 2.3 million people in prison, um, what that means is is one in two people have an immediate family member that's currently or formerly incarcerated. Uh, so as a result, it's really hard to find somebody um, in the world whose life hasn't been 
touched by, impacted by this incarceration issue at some point. So people's hearts and minds are a lot softer now because they um, they know 50% of the people have a mother, father, brother, sister, or son or daughter that have been to prison. And so now they start to recognize that this isn't, this isn't an issue that just affects ignorant people. Mm. So one of the one of the other uh, kind of quotable things that I that I wrote down that you that you said uh, was, was that making this kind of this prison to workforce pipeline because you always hear about the you know the school to prison pipeline or you know these these pipelines that are currently existing that aren't really generating the results that we want how can we start to build this um, I, I loved that are, are there other organizations that that are contributing to that pipeline, whether whether it's, uh, you know, at different locations than you all are or in different uh, industries or are, are there other companies that are, that are trying this? Yeah, so, so there are, a lot of people don't know this, but um, every prison has what's called correctional industries. I'm sorry, every state has what's called correctional industries. Um, And everybody who is in prison is required to work in some capacity. Uh, The majority of the jobs are jobs running the prison itself, um, or the state has contracted the prison, the the inmates, to do various things like the stereotypical making license plates. Um, But there's also opportunities for private sector companies like Televerde uh, to contract with correctional industries to... for employees to come and work for them to fill skills gaps that they may have to do different jobs, different jobs in different industries. So there's actually a lot of of companies out there that um, are doing this across the country. Uh, Televerde is one of one of the largest employers um, and one of the few uh, organizations that's actually employing people while they're incarcerated and then providing the opportunity after they're released. Okay. Um, so that's that's a little bit different in the model and I would love to see more more companies doing that. Um, we're also one of the, the, the few organizations that are providing what creating what we would call knowledge workers, providing real skill-based jobs. Um, But there are some fabulous organizations like The Last Mile um, that is actually teaching computer programming. It started in San Quentin, and now it's it's, uh, moving out to other organizations. And it was uh, funded by uh, Slack, the Kellogg the Kellogg Group and um, the Zuckerberg's Zuckerberg Foundation um, started that, where they're teaching the coding, uh, computer coding, and then when the pe- folks are getting released, then they help them find jobs. You know, which obviously that's a, a very well-paying job in uh, a, with a lot of demands. So, yeah. Absolutely. Okay, great. So um, I, I think one of the kind of benefits of the of the work that you do is that. You know, you don't necessarily have to be geographically everywhere. You can you can help clients from you know from where you are right now. But part of me would love to see you be able to scale up geographically, just to be able to to reach more more uh, you know prisons. So so are there are there any plans to scale up and, and, and grow in that in that way? Ab- absolutely. In fact, um, our our strategic goal is to provide ten thousand life changing opportunities um, within the next decade. And uh, so we will, in order to do that, we have to grow the business. And um, 
we will, so that's, we're focusing on that, but we've also started to look at what are our expansion plans, what are the other disempowered communities that we will work at, work with to provide these opportunities. Uh, we have already identified that um, we will be opening up a contact center in the UK, in the women's, pr women's prison, um, somewhere in England by the end of this year. And then we're in conversations with a few of the other states here in the US about what our next location will be here in the United States. Wonderful. All right. Exciting to hear. Well, well what about um, other listeners who may say, gosh, this sounds like an interesting model. Maybe it's something I'd be you know, interested to try. Um, I, I, I can imagine this could be a, a whole course in and of itself, but are there, are there certain things that they should start with in terms of what to think about or, or what to consider? So it, uh, cho choosing to do a model like Tullivert is doing takes a, a, a lot of grit, <laughs> a lot of hard work, a, a lot of commitment. Um, it's, it can be the most rewarding thing you ever do in your entire life. Uh, you know, depending on what your business is and, and what your skill gaps are, it's starting to think think about it that way and how can you use this as a competitive advantage. Um, but in, in the short term, uh, one of the immediate things that people can do is, is ban the box. Uh, and if you don't know what the box is, it's that, that box on uh, the job application that says, have you ever been convicted of a felony? Um, there are 70,000 70 million people in our country with a criminal record. So that's one in three people have a criminal record. In fact, um, I always like to share this fact. We have as many people in the country with a criminal record as we do with college degrees. Wow. Yeah, so, so if you know someone with a college degree, it's safe to say you know someone with a criminal record. And um, the... The unemployment rate for people with a criminal record is 25% higher than the national average. Um, for women, it's actually 43% higher. Um, so in a country where we have the lowest unemployment rate that we've ever had, currently 3.6, 3.8%, we have a whole population of people that are being excluded from the workforce because of um, the worst decision they made on the worst day of their life, so to speak. So um, if if as an employer you can take the box off your job application, and I'm not saying don't do background checks. I'm saying wait until you found, found the most qualified candidate for the job and then do the background check and give that person a, a chance to explain at that point in time because um, what they did may be completely benign. Um, it may be 25 years ago. Um, and consider what actually matters to your business. There's a fabulous organization out there called Checker uh, that actually helps with the online background checks so that you as an employer can actually just choose the ones that matter to your business and then exclude all the others, you know, because... Because does a DUI matter to your business? Well, if you're running a, a courier service, yeah, perhaps it mm -hmm. does. But mm -hmm. if you are you know, doing computer coding, who cares? It doesn't have any relevance to the work that you're doing. So, so thinking about it in terms of um, not all crimes are created equal <laughs> and understanding you know, what, what is the impact on the employment. Great. So one of the other things that I that I jotted down when you were talking, you're very, you're very quotable. Uh, you, you said that 
their organizations should make this a part of their diversity and inclusion initiatives. I just absolutely love that. And I was wondering if there was any stories you could share, whether or not you can share names is, is, is fine if you, if you don't want to, but what kinds of, what kinds of um, diverse perspectives and, and diverse experiences, what have been some of the benefits uh, to your organization of bringing in uh, diversity in this way, a, a kind of diversity that probably doesn't get, uh, doesn't get considered usually when talking about diversity and inclusion? It, it absolutely does not get considered when you talk about diversity and inclusion. I, I just attended the, the diversity and leadership conference in Dallas, um, and so it was a treat to be there on a panel talking about this as an element of diversity. Uh, or an element of inclusion. And, and um, so starting the conversation about this population, it's, it's a, an often neglected, um, ignored group of people. And so it's just like the disabled veterans or handicapped or blind or, you know, pick your favorite disempowered community. And this is just another group that has, you know, basically been put to the side. And so the benefits that you get are, um, are, are much like you would get when you empower anyone. Um, it is, people are, are, are grateful for the job. They appreciate it. I mean, to be perfectly honest with you, um, one of the, getting a job, if it's the hardest thing that you have to do, and in the interview, you have to explain why you're so glad to have the job that you don't want to have to do that again. Um, one of the speakers last night, Corby, uh, she says, you know, the only thing worse than going to prison is having to tell somebody that I've been to prison. Mm. And so um, having a job, you get loyal, dedicated, engaged employees who, who appreciate the work that they're doing. Um, and employee engagement, I mean, we all know if, if you've got engaged employees, then you will have happier customers and drive better results and, and greater profitability. So... Great. Well, uh, Michelle, before you wrap up, I'd just love to hear a little bit more about you. What what was it that inspired you to, to get involved in, in this organization and decide that this was something that was really connected with your purpose? So... <laughs> In in life, sometimes you you don't start with purpose. You just find your purpose, and and much the same for me. You heard me tell my story last night. Um, Twenty five years ago, I was a bartender and um, didn't feel like that was the best way to live out my life. Uh, I didn't want to become an aging bartender, um, so I found my way to Televerde uh, by traditional methods, the way that people find their way to Televerde. And um, I recognized it as the opportunity for me to have a better life. Um, so uh, after I did my time, I was employed at our corporate office in a sales position. And I really just focused on um, how I was going to have a better career for myself, how I was going to have a better life for my children and for my family. Uh, and along the way, I found my passion. Um, and I found my passion because I realized that um, I could give back to the women um, what had been given to me. And that was an opportunity. And, and, and so it started out, I just believed that the, the bigger I could help Televerde get, the more I could help the company grow, um, the more women who could have the same experience that I had. Um, and then as we did that, I, I, I was blessed with the opportunity to actually participate and help facilitate women's transformation um, and become successful. And then along the way, I learned all about the mask 
incarceration and over-criminalization, and I watched what this country has become in the past 25 years um, and, and how the climate has changed um, to putting people in prison and just realized there has to be a better way. And, and now um, nothing makes me happier than to have the opportunity to share the stories and tell people and educate people about this huge American problem and ways to solve it. It's just phenomenal, you know, the way that, you know, not just the, the entry-level jobs, but you were given an opportunity and, and now you are, you know, uh, a, a leader in the leadership team of the company. I don't even want to say just, actually, because, like you said, you are creating knowledge workers, which, which isn't always the norm with, with some of these programs. So uh, I was just incredibly inspired. I hope that we've inspired some of our audience to either want to learn more, maybe want to become a client, maybe even want to test this out themselves in, in their own organizations. Uh, if they'd like to learn a little bit more, where can folks find out more about Televerde and, and or get a hold of you? Uh, definitely, obviously, our website, which is Um Connect with me on LinkedIn. So that's Michelle Sirocco. Uh, follow me on Twitter, which is at msirocco. And just to help you out, it's Sirocco, C-I-R-O-C-C-O. Um, and yeah, so reach out, connect with me, follow what we're talking about, follow what we're doing, and I'm happy to share the stories. And if you are ever in the Phoenix area, I would love to uh, take you on a tour of our facilities and have you see the real work in action. Michelle, thanks so much for making the time. Uh, far more importantly, thank you so much for the work that you're doing each and every day uh, at Televerde. And, uh, and I hope that, that your 10,000 goal is, is met and exceeded. And, uh, and, and just thanks so much for, for all the work that you're doing. Well, thank you for giving me the opportunity to share this story. This episode is brought to you by Wicked Squid Studios, Rochester, New York's premier podcast development team. The Wicked Squid family brings ideas to life through the art of audio production. From custom jingles and creative services to studio memberships and educational curriculum, their outfit strives to empower all members of society to build a more equal and colorful world. Learn more about their operation at wickedsquidstudios.com.